Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the desperate clinging on to Pascal Strauch of the podcast. I'm still there though, and I'm joined by the, oh well, at least it's January of the podcast, Joe Hill. Maybe we will dip into the coffers this transfer window. And finally... The Elland Road surface of the podcast, 25 years past its sell-by date, stodgy and directly counterintuitive to what we're trying to achieve. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. So from that intro, that suggests that you think my peak when I was around 16. Um, (laughs) Definitely not. I'm absolutely a better human being now than I was at 16 years old. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so I guess it's 25 years old now, so maybe it went past its sell-by day a little bit later than that. Yeah, but as I've said before, I started watching Leeds in 1989, and in, in the whole time I've been following us, the Elland Road pitch has never been good. So let, let's you know get away from that one pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, it does seem particularly bad at the moment, though, and um, I did I yeah, did know we had a lot of questions about that, so we will um, we'll we'll touch on that at some point. But um, sure. Joe Hill, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Um, it's a it's a bit sad looking back at the result and watching the game again and you know just getting back into that mindset um i think it's actually been a while since i've done a review after we've lost the game so um it's normally the the two toms um so it's nice to be in their shoes and to t- take one for the team this time <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a weird one because it feels as though it feels as though we've done a lot of miserable reviews recently i know i know that's not necessarily the case but um, it it does feel as though a lot of these same old problems are, are sort of rearing their heads again and again, and making this review podcast a little bit more of a of a procession. But we will we will get into that. Um, let's get into the let's get into the the match itself. Um, we we start with with a question that we always start with, which is uh, how did how does how does that feel, Joe? You've already suggested it it, it didn't feel great, but Darren, how did how did you think the the match felt? It was just incredibly frustrating, wasn't it? I mean, th- there was. I, I I think that I'm right in saying that that since Bielsa took over, it's our lowest single game xG. So that just shows that we just throughout the game we we never really created chances, and and even in games that we've lost, where you know where we create a high number of chances, at least there's a kind of there's an excitement and there's a hope. But I just felt you know really after the first five minutes when when Rodrigo missed the chance from the Alioski cross. There was very, very little to kind of get excited about. There was very little play which looked dangerous. Um, I thought Brighton managed the game exceptionally well, um, and we just, we just really never found answers. I mean, even when we looked better in the second half, we still weren't finding answers to the problems that Brighton were putting in front of us. So, just overall, a kind of very flat, very disappointing, very frustrating afternoon, all, all told. Yeah. It- it very much was, and I think when we get into the tactical breakdown, um, there will be a, a fair amount of uh, explanation for why that was the case. But um, let's get on to 
the the match itself. Well, actually, before we get onto the match itself, um, we had a question from Mike Turetsky that I wanted to cover quickly. Um, before that, thanks for everyone's questions. Again, we had over eighty questions, so uh, we've we've cherry picked um, them around a theme, really. So sorry if you didn't get. Um, your question asked, but hopefully um, the, some sort of thematic um, question will have been asked, which covered the topic that you were covering. But Mike Turetsky covered the um, Bielsa press conference, um, and I thought it was an interesting question. I wondered what you guys thought of this, but Mike says, in a matter of weeks, Bielsa in his press conference has gone from releasing the exact lineups prematurely to downright lying about them. Do you think it's acceptable to say unequivocally, unequivocally that everyone is available except Phillips when your goalkeeper's out because of COVID? Um Joe, what do you what did you make of that question? I guess the short answer for me is that I I do think it's acceptable um, because Bielsa has clearly been told that he he can't say if people have COVID or not. Um, that's what he's been told by the club, and that's we've seen that because he at first he did he did tell us that they had COVID, and now he sort of says, oh well, they're unavailable, um, and there's sort of. To be honest, I'm I'm more frustrated with the the media and the press that push him in in every single interview, saying, "Oh, so Melier's unavailable. So does that mean he's injured?" And he says, "Oh, well, he's just unavailable." And they go, "Oh, so is he out of favour in the team then?" And I just think, look, it's pretty obvious he has COVID, and it's pretty <laughs> obvious that this is new ground for Bielsa. He doesn't really know how to deal with it, and he's just been told. Look, don't mention if they have COVID. Just say they're unavailable. So mm. it's not Bielsa's fault at all, in my opinion. And so, yeah, I, I do think it's acceptable that uh, what he what he said about Melier. Darren, what do you make of the club's approach to the coronavirus pandemic in that in that respect? It does seem very odd that they have a sort of no no talk policy on on anyone who has the disease. I, I don't think anybody's got a right to know when any individual's got COVID. I think that's the first thing that I would say. So if, if the club have taken a position or individuals have taken a position that they don't want it released, that they've got COVID, I respect that completely. I think I think to say that he's, that he's unavailable and then kind of not give any further answer actually reveals quite clearly what, what the issue is. So I would much, much prefer it if the club just said either he's picked up a minor injury or he's picked up a minor illness. And then that just kind of stops the conversation, really. I, I think that stops it much more effectively than saying um, he's unavailable. But I think, we need to, I think we need to remember that football managers have got the right to say whatever they want in press conferences. This is not like Boris Johnson giving a COVID update on the BBC. If, if a football manager wants to lie about the, the state of their squad and whether they want to gain an advantage from that or whether it's about something else... I don't actually think it matters. It, it's not public information. It's not information which needs to be in the public domain as far as I'm concerned. I think that, that covers everything there. So let's move on and talk about the, the game itself. We did mention the pitch before. Uh, we had a question from Kuel on Twitter. He says, Greetings and frustration in equal measure from faraway Leeds fan in Sydney. He wishes to know how players can be expe- expected to implement Marcelo's stated style and win when our home pitch is not up to it like making Lewis Hamilton race on slicks even in the wet. We got leggy from doing all the running on a shifting and heavy surface. Of course, we looked flat, lacking zip, etc. from the comments, but it's not the player's failure. We will be better away on a good surface, but can't throw away points and confidence at home without adjusting of pitch slash style. And obviously, Angus Kinnear came out this week and said that the, the club are going to completely relay the pitch in, in the summer. Um, I, I think the questions were raised about whether or not you could do a sort of short-term botch job and just relay the turf um which i suspect you probably could but um, because i'm sure it used to happen in in uh, darren you'll be able to back me up on this but it felt like in the in the 90s and 2000s you used to get people relaying their pitch at christmas or after the christmas period so presumably you can do something like that but i'm guessing that the club just don't think it's worth it and because they're going if you're going to do a full relay you're just going to be laying a pitch for six months and it probably won't be worth it yeah, absolutely. I think you're right that they did used to do that, but I think in I think in my memory it used to happen at Old Trafford quite a bit as far as as far as I remember because they always traditionally had a lot of problems with their pitch. But I think it's it just becomes a very much a short term solution because for a turf to knit properly, I mean I'm I'm not a gardener or an expert on turf or anything like that, but but as far to my understanding, it does take some time for turf to knit together. Um, and I think that actually all it does is it just provides maybe a one or two game solution to a, a much longer term problem. So I think 
you, you know, we're just going to be in a situation where we're just waiting for the pitch to be relayed in the, relayed in the summer and the players are just going to have to deal with it. And, and you know, in Brighton's attacking play, they didn't look like they were struggling with the pitch. You know, they looked like they were able to manage the surface well and, and they, were, they were playing short, one, one and two touch play in their attacking moves, just like we do. Although, you know, obviously the movements are different and everything. So I, I'm, I'm kind of, of, of the... In a game against Burnley, I can see that you can use the pitch as an excuse because our, our style of play is much more intricate than Burnley's and, and they're, they're much more agricultural, so that, that style of pitch suits them. But that's not the case with Brighton. They, they play attractive, short-passing football with one and two touches and they manage it much more effectively than we did in their attacking moves. Yeah, that's actually quite interesting because I think what, what I found was that um, Brighton I, I was interested in the question, so I went and had a look at the passing stats from the game and uh, Brighton actually passed the ball much less than we did. And um, one of the things you might have noticed is from goal kicks, they um, they didn't pass the ball out from the back. They they went long quite a lot. And um, I think the, the style... Uh, that they adopted was very, very similar to some of the style that we used to see in 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 Germany and under um, when when Ralf Hasenhutl was at um, uh, RB Leipzig and when Domenico Tedesco was at um, at Schalke um, and they basically played a sort of very uh, gegenpressing pressing style of play. So you put the ball in advanced areas and um, and then sort of counter press. So try and press, win the ball back, and go from there. Um, I don't disagree with you, Darren. I think you know, obviously, their goal came from um, one, one or two touch passes and and moving the ball um, in in sort of quite intricate ways. Uh, but I think they they took a lot of the the build up play out of their game um, and forced Leeds to make mistakes and then sort of went quickly to goal from from there. Um, and I think that does. I did think that that impacted it. Whereas I think for us, given that we play it out of the back. Um, there was there's certain situations uh, again not to not to bang on the Pascal Strauch drum, but there was a few situations actually when I was watching him when I felt the ball sort of got caught under his feet a little bit, and he ended up having to stab the ball away because because the ball didn't fall very nicely for him. And I think that the difference is is that when you're playing when you're playing a sort of static build up where you're sort of moving the ball around um, and and from the back and you're going to have defensive players on the ball a little bit it makes a big difference compared to when you're sort of running at speed and and sort of passing and you're sort of taking into account the bobbles that are going to happen so I think there's there's definitely something to say for that as well absolutely but I thought we we did move the ball front to back quite quickly a lot of times in the first half but not with any great deal of accuracy and not with that kind of follow-up which Brighton had so I think to an extent we did actually try and manage the pitch um, but I just don't think we did it particularly effectively in, in, in either in either the way that we controlled the one and two touch passes or in the way that we moved the ball along and then and then you know did any counter pressing. I, I, I thought we just managed it really poorly. Joe, what did you make of the pitch? I try not to buy into the pitch chat too much. I just don't really like it I, I, for, for the same reasons that Darren mentioned. Like, but both teams are playing on it. Brighton did play some nice football on that pitch. Um, it's not like they were just launching it and just playing anti-football. Um, and I just think it's something that the players have to adapt to. You know, they're professional footballers and I think I don't like the idea that they can only play their game on elite, flat, perfect surfaces. I quite like the idea that, you know, they could rock up to um, just some field in the middle of nowhere and, and still still play their game and Obviously, you know, maybe that's taking it a slightly too far, but I think considering it's their it's their home turf, you know, they should be able to play their game on it, and they they should adapt to it. So I don't really buy into that using that as an excuse. Just the same way that I don't really buy into the you know the floodlights thing or or referees too much. You know, I just think it's the same for both teams. To be fair, no one at the club is using it as an excuse. I just want to be absolutely clear about that. That's not what's yeah. that's not the mood music from the PR. It's 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 something which is happening in the fan base, and I understand it from that point of view. Right, let's move on. Um, Leeds Faithful had three questions, which I think broke down some of the issues quite nicely. So one, we can't handle ball-playing centre-backs. They break our press. How do we resolve it? Two, we can't handle overloads in the flanks, especially the left. It leaves us exposed in the middle. How do we fix that? And three, I may be wrong, but we can't seem to score against a back three. So plenty to get our teeth into there. Um, Let's start with the first one. Ball playing centre backs. Obviously, a player like Adam Webster is going to destroy our press. Um, 
and I, he did cause us lots of problems. I noticed he had the most um, progressive carries uh, out of anyone. I think, uh, well, certainly on the Brighton team. I don't know if that, I don't think he had as many as some of the Leeds players. But how do we deal with this this uh, ability for a back three in particular to to break? Uh, our press so easily by just sort of spreading the play, finding sp- space on on an opposite side, and then and then just sort of uh, plundering it, as it were. So, Joe, what's your take on this with the with the centre back issue? Well, this is a problem that we flagged up in the in the match preview, isn't it? Um, we said that this would be a problem, and we were kind of looking for Rodrigo to resolve this problem. So, for for me, there's a couple of there's a couple of ways that we can resolve this. Given that, given our man marking system, so obviously the first one is you're looking for players like Rodrigo to track them slightly better. Maybe he needs to put in a professional foul just before the halfway line, for example. Um, given that he's given that the role he plays, he shouldn't be really pick, picking up that many yellows, so he's not going to be in danger of getting sent off necessarily. Um, and I guess the the only other option that I can really think of is that someone else has to leave their man and you'll be looking for them to do it in a way that blocks the passing lane between the man that they've left and the man that they're running towards. So they have to be they have to be pretty astute in the way that they they do that. But I guess a player like Click or Stuart Dallas, depending on where they are on the pitch could in theory leave their man but then they have to be 100% sure that they're going to get the ball and they're going to put in a challenge because obviously if they don't then that's two players that are then free and two players that are out of the position. One of the things that happened on Saturday both in our attacking play and our defensive play and particularly in the first half is that we separated into two units of five with quite a big gap between them at times and I think that really killed our press because it meant there was, there was times you know when Webster walked past Rodrigo as he did with with monotonous regularity it meant that he just had acres and acres of space to walk into um so i i think i think that i, w- I was surprised by how deep our backline sat when we were when we were attacking at times again it was more an issue in the first half than it was in the second but i agree with joe i think there are times and and you see this all the time from from man city particularly if you get beaten by a man just just take him down it's not rocket science and click used to be is is but used to do it a lot more. Um, I think I think you have to manage the game pragmatically, and I think that's the sort of pragmatism I want to talk about. It's not whether we just lump the ball at a number nine pragmatism, Brexit football, but I think you've got to manage the situation that you that you put in effectively with with, with the options available to you. Um, so I think there's something about how how um, that we weren't at all compact, and um, I think that we didn't manage where the ball went across Brighton's back three effectively we do a two I I think that you've got to be a bit more um focused in making sure that Webster's covered at all times and making sure that um the of the three center backs Web, Webster covered it carried it out a lot um I think Dunk carried it out less and then it went to White so you make sure that you make sure that Webster and White are picked up at all times and that actually takes away a lot a lot of Brighton's efficiency and, and ability to move the ball away from the back I think we just left him free a lot um and yeah it's one of the things I talked about that you've got to make sure that the, the players in the um in the Brighton back line who are weakest in possession have the ball the most and I just don't feel like we did that you mentioned that the, there was they had two units of five Brighton and what I was impressed by is that you know usually when we well, usually when we play against a three four three I make a big point in the in the post match analysis particularly the video analysis of how often teams will end up working in these sorts of um, uh, pressing packs on either side because the three the three four three allows you to have like a, a unit a, a rhombus as I like to call it of 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 a wide forward um, a, a wide centre back and then central midfielder and a and a wing back and they can sort of press as a as a as a unit. Brighton sat there wide players really deep they sat basically in a in a back five um, and I think the reason they did that is because Leeds like to. Um, often find space down the wide areas as an out ball. Um, so we'll often see the ball. I mean, it happened in the Everton game a lot when Calvin Phillips had a lot of time. He was able to put those crossfield passes in and, and find options wide without without a marker. So they did that. And then in front of that, they had a, a sort of pressing 
what I would call a, a pentagon shape, really. So they had the two central uh, midfielders, and then they had the two wide forwards quite narrow, and 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 then the striker obviously in front of them um, formed a pentagon. And what they did is they just moved that, shifted it from side to side, um, and and it one it allowed them to funnel leads quite nicely into wide areas. So they allowed the fullbacks to get the ball, and then they would just shift across. Um, they would keep the central defensive midfielder sort of ringed. Um, as a five and then yeah they would then then press and and one of the full with the wing backs would push forward and so they were just basically inviting leads into those wide areas and then overloading them and and, and pressing them uh, and it just worked really really well um, because it 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 just sort of disjointed all of the the build-up play down the wide areas you could you couldn't get it to the wingers directly but you could get it to the fullbacks and when the fullbacks got it then they pushed across and pressed quite quite stringently so with that in mind um Leeds faithful second question was we can't handle overloads on the flanks especially the left and then he says it leaves us exposed in the middle how do we fix that and I guess the issue is is for us is that what we we try and do is we try and build up in wide areas by using the central defensive midfielder as a sort of facilitator to to move the ball from from fullbacks into into wingers Uh, and then our two eights push into the front line uh, look for spaces in the opposition's back line uh, and as a result you basically have your central defensive midfielder as the only central player in possession uh, and what what Brighton were trying to do is is break us down in the wide areas and then um, because they had that five that unit of five in the pentagon shape they would then quickly shift the ball into the middle and use that space in the center um, to, to attack. So by hunting in a pack like that with, with those five players and doing a lot of work shifting side to side, they're able to press us, overload us in wide areas and then move quickly into the central spaces and, and attack us through the middle. So um, yeah, we'll go to, we'll go to you Darren on this. What did you, what did you make of the, their, um, their ability to sort of press us in ways that it left us exposed? Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought I thought they managed that that element of it really well, and I, I think we absolutely failed, comprehensively failed to respond to it in the first half. And I think um, that that what we needed was we, we needed one we needed either Rodrigo or or, um, or Click or or possibly both of them to start playing in in a slightly different way and to start looking for space in the central areas where where there was there was a bit more space available to them very often in the I just when I watched the game this morning I I noticed how often click was the widest player left so Rafinha would come inside him and, and Click would be out on the touchline when actually what we needed him to do I think was to make himself more available deeper and, and in more central spaces so that we could have half a chance of getting through that that pentagon press that you talked about so yeah I, I, I think Brighton played the game tactically perfectly really um, and 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 we just just didn't manage to respond quickly enough um, to get to get hold of the game. Joe do you have any thoughts on on this? Not in particular, I'd just echo what Darren said, really. I think um, Brighton played it ex- extremely well, the way that they pressed, and they, they clearly saw that weakness in, in Leeds' game. And they, like we just mentioned, they, they created they created overloads um, with the players that they, they drove forward. And it just seems that they were able to beat us man for man as well, which was quite surprising. Like uh, the, I know the centre-backs were driving out, but even ben, ben White had some luck in sort of I think he took on Rafinha in the first half. Um, yeah, it was the first half. Um, and then suddenly was in loads of space. So um, it was just not our game, really. And I think we, we Bielsa can certainly make some slight tweaks to the system to improve that aspect. Mm. Yeah. I, I just wonder as well whether Leeds Faithful's question refers to when when Brighton went forward and, and overloaded as in their attacking play, and I, I thought I did I did notice that quite a few times on the on the left that Alioski was left isolated against a couple of players, um, and I, I think that speaks partly to the to the shift that we made with the wingers where Harrison was moved over to the right to kind of cope defensively with their left left wing back march, but. But that then meant that we didn't have him doing the sterling defensive work that he does on the left, on on our left, and I think that that was a re- that was a problem because Rafinha isn't anywhere near as kind of diligent in terms of making sure that he tracks his man or, or or gets into those deep spaces where we very often see Harrison and very often saw Harrison on on Saturday, and I I actually thought he was our best player uh, on on Saturday by quite some distance. Yeah, and again that that all speaks to the um the power of, of Brighton playing in that five that narrow five which is going to leave space on the opposite side but if you can if you can win win the ball in the press you then have five players around the ball and 
Leeds, Leeds players are going to be out of position, which is which is going to force um, there to be spaces in the middle. So yeah, I think I just think structurally they they played things really well. We've seen the similar things with um, I think the way that um, Crystal Palace played. They didn't play a three four three; they played a four four two, but they did the same sort of thing. They they were they played a narrow midfield for, um, and and ended ended up really being like a four three three at times. Um, a force leads into wide areas, then pressed pressed their, with their fullbacks forward and their midfield players wide uh, and then broke at speed um and and uh, and were able to to plunder the space that was left so um i think that's going to be something we see increasingly through the course of the season when teams realize particularly the teams i think that we played against and beat comfortably they're going to they're going to say we we can't play an open game against this team how how are we going to be able to uh, handle them defensively so i think the second half of the season is going to be a bit of a bit more grim than the first half in that respect but and i think in line with that then the third question about um we can't see to score against a back three but yeah there's I think we've we've seen this sort of thing happen before where when a team just sits deep and and sticks three big center backs in in the box and restricts us to just sort of crossing in then there's not really much you can do other than lump it in and see what happens and um, we don't have the players really to cause a back three with tall center backs any problems well, one of the ways that we were, well, I was hoping that we we could do that was having Rafinha cut inside, um, take take on the wing backs, cut inside, and then you know be be one v one against someone like Burn. Um, but obviously he was on uh, the left, Rafinha, so we didn't really see him cutting inside that much. And I think that's that's one of the ways that in theory we could score against a back three is if you can drag one of the centre backs out of position. If you can take on the wing back and then have a one v one against, you know, the left centre back, for example, then mm. you're in basically, aren't you? But um, we just couldn't get any luck, and I think that's mostly because we swapped our wingers um, basically to deal with March, um, who was mm. the the biggest attacking threat for them in terms of wing backs. Mm. Um, so that was a bit more of a defensive choice from Bielsa. We walked into every trap they set for us, effectively. I think. Yeah, we had the we had a question from Jacob Stanbridge, which says, "Interested on your thoughts in, on their press? Felt like they dropped off the centre backs, let us pass out to our fullbacks who are weaker in possession. We had a lot of players ready to converge on Strauch if he received the ball, and so I don't think Phillips would have helped much until later in the game. That is when they were sitting back, and I think that's that's the long and short of it. They they were they were happy to funnel us into wide areas, and then once we were wide, they they just sort of moved as a unit across and 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 made our build up in those areas much much harder and." Um, it's, you know, it's, it's something that we've seen happen. Leicester did it against us. Um, Wolves did it against us really well as well. Um, any team that plays three four three is going to be able to to do that because it's just so easy to just drop your wing backs deep and um, and and just invite leads into those areas. I think a lot of teams realise that we build up through our fullbacks, and and then the, the the movement is sort of use the central midfielders to sort of wall pass into the wingers, and then the wingers can attack the space um, in, in on either side of the defence and try and get in behind fullbacks. But if you do it with a back five, sit your wingbacks quite deep, then you you basically restrict leads to crossing into the middle. And I think a lot of teams would much rather take us on those terms than they would in an open game. Absolutely. And I agree with Jacob's point uh, about about Phillips. I, I My view is that Phillips wouldn't, wouldn't have made a great deal of difference in that game because the same restrictions to his passing would have been placed on him as were placed on Stroke. And it would have been the sort of game on... On where you would have been looking on Twitter and seeing why is Calvin broken? Calvin's playing crap. Calvin's injured. Yeah, you know all that kind of stuff that you normally see. There was a lot of people as well. I think who said that that click changed things up. And um, watching the game back, like it was only in the final ten minutes where we were able to progress the ball through the middle areas, and that was because they they sat back for the last ten minutes, and so there was there was no pressure whatsoever. And um, <clears throat> sorry. I'm like you, I watched that game with a particular, when I watched it back with a particular eye on Strauch and in, in terms of the options that he had in front of him. And I just don't think there was any options there. I don't think there was, and you know, we've seen, we've seen Strauch's passing be great in, in a lot of games. And I'm not saying Strauch had a good game by any stretch, but um, I think there's explanations for why and explanations why he wasn't passing so well yesterday because a lot of the time he was under a huge amount of pressure as soon as he received the ball so there was no way for him to turn um there was the only options were for him to pass back and then when he did have the ball towards goal he was often closed down really really quickly by one or other defenders so um yeah not you know that if you had a really elite um press resistant number eight in there maybe it would have been different but 
I don't, I don't think Strauch isn't that. Strauch is a is a left centre back, um, or I guess a right centre back if you uh, if you take that game in particular. But um, I also don't think that Phillips is that either. I don't think Phillips is a great pressure resistant player. I think Phillips is a a very good defensive centre or defensive midfielder, and then I think he's got a very good um, sort of crossfield ball on him uh, in space. He can he can uh, cause huge problems for opposition with that, but. Um, I don't think either of I don't think any of the players that we had would have, uh, with the maybe the exception of Adam Forshaw and his pomp, would have really really thrived in that situation. So and it's it's one of those situations where you know we see this happening in games where the the the, the central midfielder is is pressured, um, and when it's Calvin he passes the ball back. That that's what he's there for. You he he's not there to generate progression. He's there to facilitate. Um, ball retention in that sense and so often he'll give you an out for a, a, another player and then he'll pass it onto on onto another player it's not that the, the pivot player in our team is not about ball progression in terms of actual yardage it's about allowing the other players to possess progress the ball um, it's about helping out the the centre-backs when they need an option it's about helping out the full-backs when they need an option and it's about feeding into into wingers as well when you can get there as well and yeah sitting when a team's sitting deep then you have a little bit more scope and I just didn't think yesterday's game was that at all no absolutely the, the most press resistant player we had on the pitch by any stretch of the imagination on Saturday was was Tyler Roberts who I thought actually played the played the eight role very well he, he, he showed up for the ball in ways that neither Click nor Rodrigo had done in the first half and I, I thought pro- it was potentially one of his better games in the in the midfield for us. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about that more later. Well, we've got two questions now that, that sort of go along that line. Um, the first one is from David Martin, who said, "Is it too simplistic to say we don't dribble enough with the slick one-touch passing? Doesn't when the slick one-touch passing doesn't work, then we need players to dribble at teams." And um, Kyle Graham said, "Did Bielsa get the subs wrong again? Roberts looked okay, but him and Paveda don't change games. Seems like Harrison and Ra- Harrison and Rafinha should have swapped wings after half time." Now, I actually thought the subs did change the game. Um, we looked we looked better in this in the second half than we did in the first, and I think a lot of that is down to Tyler Roberts, as you've said, because Tyler Roberts was dropping deep and then and then pressing um pressuring their their defenders and midfielders and causing a little bit more um i think problem in the central areas and so dragging dragging their players around a little bit more and giving space to everyone else and um i think I think that was a good substitution um People, people, and again, that, that brings me back to what I was saying before. Look, I think the issues in the first half with the neither Click nor Rodrigo were doing enough to to help out in progression. Um, we, you know, when you have players like the Tyler Roberts were dropping really deep. Um, when Pablo was on, we know Pablo likes to drift deep, pick the ball up, and we didn't have like neither Click nor Rodrigo were really doing that enough. I don't think in the first half, and that was that was where the problems came from because there was no there was no interchange between those two units of five as you were talking about. It took thirty five minutes before Matthias Click came and picked a ball up for centre half. I, I I specifically watched for it, and it was the thirty fifth minute before he dropped in and he picked a ball up off Liam Cooper. I think that was really the root of the, the root of the problem and why we weren't able to to break break them down at all in the first half beyond that let's talk about the the subs a little bit uh, a little bit more so Perveda I think is one that is mentioned in that question Joe what's your what's your take on Perveda because I was a little bit critical about him in the podcast last week but uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on him I do really like uh, Jan Perveda Um, I think he's a great player I think he's got great pace I think he's got great hunger Um, and I think that's probably why Bielsa sent him on is because he always looks really really hungry when he comes on in games he wants the ball he wants to take on a man um, and he wants to sort of generate attacking play Um, I think yesterday he did struggle uh, or Saturday um, but I think I think it's just more um, we're going to ring the game state bell again because uh, I think it's more to do with that. I think it's more the the fact that Brighton were 1-0 up and Perveda came on at a time when Brighton were making very defensive-minded substitutions and they had decided to sit a lot deeper. And as you said, the wing-backs were were very deep in general anyway. They were playing in a back five uh, pretty much. And I think Perveda didn't quite have the space that he that he wanted, and you know then then you're looking at him to take on a man, um, which he does have the ability to do, but he sort of struggled to do that on Saturday as well. Um, 
So I don't I don't think he looked brilliant on Saturday, but I don't think many of the players did play, have a have a really good game. So I wouldn't single him out as one of the worst players. Um, and I certainly would like to see him come on in future games because. I think uh, th- these are the same reasons that I like Jamie Shackleton. I just the the raw pace and maybe it's because they're they're so young, but the, just the hunger that they show on the pitch is just fantastic to watch. So I, I love both of those players. I think I think switching Rafinha to the right and Harrison back to the left might have been the way to go rather than bringing Perveda on on Saturday personally, um, because I I think that if you give you, you you're already one nil down, you're chasing the game, you've got twenty minutes to go. Rafinha's been our chief creative outlet since he came to the club from the right-hand side. So I think that you can kind of um, forget about those defensive responsibilities. And if you lose 2-0, that's fine, to be honest. Um, But you you might increase your chances of getting a goal back. So I I do think that the the Pervader substitution was questionable, but I thought the other two were absolutely the right substitutions at the right time. Seeing as we're on the topic of, of, of wingers... Um, Sam says we have four right wingers and no left wingers. Discuss. Who wants to go with that? <laughs> uh, I dis- I disagree with that. I think Harrison's a left winger. I think he he looks much less effective from an attacking point of view, and he plays from the right. Um, he you know he, for for all his decision making and final ball is frustrating from the left. He does create a high number of chances from there. Um, I think I think is I think yeah I think the other three probably are right wingers, and there there is some truth in that. But I wonder whether you know. I, th- I think it's an indication of the the depth of our squad, but I think Alioski is probably the the next choice for the left wing slot, um, which I think is a bit problematic. But but no, I, I don't I don't fundamentally agree. I think we've got one one left winger and three right wingers. Colin Forbes says he mentions the the switch that we've talked about, but I've noticed that Harrison and Alioski have not been the best partnership on the left. But I didn't expect Bielsa to move Harrison. Am I wrong on blaming Alioski for our woes? But we only seem to play well if he plays well, and he didn't play well today. Um, and Ali, uh, sorry, Jack, Jacqueline Hunt says Alioski continues to start. Why? Um, and I think that sort of links to that switch right and left that you've talked about there, Darren. But um, what do you make of what do you make of Alioski, Darren? I think that the question about that Colin asks there um, about or the comment that he makes about Alioski only play, playing, uh, we only play well if if he plays well, and I think that actually what that speaks to is the kind of games in which Alioski plays well, and Alioski plays well when when he's not put under any pressure on the ball and when he's when he's allowed space to run into, and I think that if we think back to the West Brom game, yeah, he was defensively excellent in the West Brom game. But in terms of the attacking play, he was given acres of space and he was never put under any real pressure and he was never pressed. And I think the games in which he's pressed are the ones where he looks a lot worse. Um, so I think that, that that speaks to the rest of the team as well. I don't think Alioski playing well is a kind of magical pill for us to play well. I think it's more that it speaks to the tactical systems that have been used against us in the, in the games when he plays well and the games when he plays worse. Yeah, what what about you, Joe? What do you make of the the Alioski conundrum? I just wanted to mention that, in my opinion, Alioski created the best chance of the game in the first five minutes, which is the the ball in to Rodrigo, um, who's standing five yards out and should probably at least get that on target. And actually, that's a fantastic ball from Alioski. Um, it's curving towards the goal. It's hit really hard and really low. Um, and you know the, those are the types of situations where any contact on the ball, the keeper's never saving that, unless you just happen to hit it straight at the keeper. That's that's a goal every time. So I did want to mention that chance because I think that Alioski, that was a fantastic cross, and that was the, easily the best move of the game from a Leeds point of view. And the second best move was offside, which was Rafinha do, doing the same drive into Bamford, who also hit thin air, but that one was offside. So. Alioski's was really the only good chance of the game and you know in in the same way that um, people might say Alioski didn't play well I think you could say the same thing about five or six players um, in the team I think you could say the same thing about Dallas um, Luke Ayling didn't quite meet up to the high standards that he's been setting in recent weeks so I know that Alioski did misplace the pass uh, in the second half that led to a really big chance for them but um no, I think overall um, I'm quite happy with Alioski in the team and I think, um, yeah, he was a bit off the boil but so, so were quite a few players, to be honest. 
I suspect that when we play Newcastle, um, he won't be in the starting lineup. I suspect that Aileen will go to right back and he'll bring in Urente and and uh, Cooper as the centre backs, and Dallas will move to left back. Um, I, I I I would be surprised if we didn't because I think just because our ball progression is so much better when Luke Aileen plays at right back than than when he plays at centre back. I think that um, Bielsa will be looking for ways to prioritise how we move the ball from front to back. That's just a hunch. Yeah, I was going to say a couple of things. First was um, about Alioski. We know that Bielsa's system is designed to give players space. I think um, less elite players are going to play better in space than they are in, not in space. And the reason why Bielsa's system is so effective and has, has got a squad that were struggling in the championship to play well is because it affords them the space to be able to really maximise their ability. Um and I think I think Alioski is a, a a good example of that. In the games where he's given space, he looks fine, and in the games where he's not given space, he doesn't look fine. And um, yesterday, yesterday, day before yesterday, how time flies, um, was one of those games where he just wasn't afforded space. And you know, there's going to be there's going to be games this season where we are afforded space and Leeds will do well, and there's going to be games this season where Leeds aren't afforded space and we aren't going to do well. Uh, and the only way that you can offset that really is by bringing in better players, um, which you can't do all at once. And so we're we're in an, a bit of a conundrum with with a few different positions in that respect. Um, but there's not really a lot we can do with, about it other than make sure we stay up, bring in some better players in the summer, and 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 go from there. So um, that's kind of my position on Alioski you know sometimes maybe good sometimes maybe shit and that's how it that's how it is um and yeah um in in terms of the centre-back situation I would I wondered what you two thought of the fact that Cooper and Strauch played um played as centre-backs for the for I guess the final 15 25 minutes of the of the game on Sunday Saturday um the reason I ask is we've talked a lot about how Bielsa would never have two left-footed centre-backs um in 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 the lineup together, but uh, Pascal Strack's actually very good with his right foot, um, and I, I know that the there has whenever there's been a few interviews given with players who are asked about who's the best passer in in the squad, and a lot of them will say Pascal Strack can hit postage stamps with his left and right foot, um, and I wondered whether or not you thought that might actually offer a fairly decent uh, solution to the to the problems that we've we've seen in terms of. Um, sort of having to field uh, centre back so what what did you make of that I think that'd be that'd be really interesting to see if it's next game what the starting 11 is because um I think I slightly disagree with with Darren in in that he'd like to, he'd like to see or he expects to see Lorente come in um but that's not necessarily because I don't think Ailing is is amazing at right back because I would like to see him play there but it's more that I'm not sure that Lorente will come into the starting lineup. Um so maybe it was half of an experiment for Bielsa to say look let's see if Strauch and Cooper can play together as a center back pair. Um and potentially we that would be another option against Newcastle is to to put them two at center back and then you know maybe Lorente isn't 100% fit or maybe he's just not 100% ready to come into the starting 11. So um that'll be really interesting to see what happens in the next game cuz that, yeah, that could work out if if Strauch is so good with either foot. I don't have any problem at all with Pascal Strauch in either of the centre back positions. I think he's. I'm, I'm a massive fan of him. Uh, I think he's got all the ability in the world in those positions. Um, I, I suspect that because he he is naturally left footed, that, that that Bielsa would shy away from that. And the only reason that we did it on Saturday was just so that we could make the attacking substitutions that he wanted. Um, but I personally don't have a problem with it. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Staying on the on the fullbacks um, issue, obviously at one point we, we saw Ailing going back to right back and Dallas going to left back. Uh, and Tim Chamming says, as soon as we get our main fullbacks playing in their positions, the better. We'd love to see our pass completion over the last five games. It's felt very shaky. Now, um, as soon as people ask for things like pass completion rates, um, I always go and I always look at them. <laughs> and I always think people are really, really bad at judging pass completion rates just based on, on, on the eye test. So here you go. Let's give you the last... So minus Crawley Town, the, the last five pass completion rates that we've had for, for Legion United. And I'll, I'll start off by saying the, the average pass completion rate this season so far has been 80.8% pass completion. Um, so Brighton, we had 80.4, so 0.4 below our average. Um, Tottenham... 81.5 so above our average West Brom 87.8 above our average Burnley obviously a game that we didn't play well in 72.7 um, Manchester United 80.5 so the problem I think the problem is with trying to judge how well we passed on the pass completion rate is that pass completion rate doesn't tell you anything about the areas the ball's been lost in it doesn't tell you anything other than here's here's a number of passes you attempted and here's a number of passes you completed um and I think the issue with Leeds isn't that they misplace a lot of passes. It's that they misplace passes in certain areas, which end up being disastrous. I mean, Manchester United, that game, we we gave away the ball so many times in, in bad situations that, that resulted in counterattacks. And yet, you know, we're 0.3% under our average pass completion rate. Um, whereas, uh, I'll give you an example, Aston Villa, we we beat them three nil. Our pass completion rate in that game is seventy eight point six, so um, quite a bit below what it was against against Manchester United. So, as a rule, pass completion rates don't really tell us a huge amount. Of it. I, I think the best thing to do in those sorts of games is to go back, have a watch, and say there's a that's a, a sort of key turnover there. That's and 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 then sort of start totting them up like that and saying, well, you know, in that game we had we had five passes where it resulted in the opposition having a goal scoring chance or something like that. Um and that that is much more of an issue there. So uh, but in terms of the fullback situation then, um Darren, we we did look better once click dropped into um into the central defensive midfield s- slot, I think, um at some point. But that all that that change also occasioned Luke Ayling going to right back, and I think that made a huge difference in terms of our build up as well. So, do you think that we're for for all the good that we have from playing Ayling as a as a centre back, we're missing him as as a full back? Absolutely, we miss his ball progression. We we miss his we miss his use of the ball. Um, I think we miss his we miss his the sort of runs that he tends to make because I think he he, he finds space in a really intelligent way. I think he's really great in those kind of very tight spaces where he's where he's just got to kind of take one touch and get a very quick pass off. And I think Dallas was caught out in a couple of situations like that where where it was you know he needed he needed to take one touch with one foot and then very quickly move a pass with the other. And those are the situations where Alien tends to look very good. Um, so I I. I would absolutely love to see Luke Ayling back in the in the right back position, irrespective of who plays at, at the set, in the centre back position uh, going forward. Well, someone we haven't talked about now is Rodrigo. 
we had a few questions about about him. Um, so Richard Lang said something not quite right with and slash or the way we are deploying Rodrigo defensively just doesn't seem to fit to cover ground required and offensively runs into Pat's space too often rather than uh, dropping a little bit deeper to create Pablo a better option for me. Uh, Brian Williams said, do the stats confirm drop in performance for Rodrigo since COVID and same for ball retention loss for click positives, uh, Roberts and Pablo linked play better. Uh, which I, we've said we, we already agree with. So I, again, I've, I've had a look at the stats. In terms of Rodrigo, I thought the best thing to look at was maybe shot creating actions. So any action that results in a shot being created. And um, there's a lot of people saying that they reckon that Rodrigo's got long COVID. Um, so I had a look at the I had a look at the the stats in terms of his shot creating actions, and it doesn't seem to be any real correlation there. So um, the the game. So the, the Villa game, he was his one was one of his best. Um, it was certainly the best so far um, in terms of shot creating actions. So he creates six shot creating actions in that game. Uh, then we have the Arsenal away game. He creates three action uh, shot creating actions, and then he misses three games for COVID. Comes back against West Ham, he creates two shot creating actions. Then against Newcastle, it's six. Then against Manchester United, it's five. Then against Burnley, it's two. Then against West Brom, it's four. And then against Tottenham, it's three. And then it's zero against Brighton. So um, I, I think with Rodrigo, it's I think it was a one-off poor performance. Um, again, probably occasioned by the tactics. Um, but I don't think that I don't think you can say with any sort of uh, seriousness that it's it's COVID related. Um, now maybe maybe he is being impacted by by um, by some form of like um, lingering COVID in some sense, but he has been playing better than he played against Brighton um, since he played um, since he since he had COVID. So I think that's enough to to sort of suggest that this isn't. I think the, the long COVID conspiracy theory, if I can call it that, is. Is 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 just perhaps a, a way of excusing a bad game. He had a bad game, and 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 maybe that's that. Um, with respect to click, the question was, I think, about his ball retention slash loss. So I had a look at um I had a look at ball retention. Um, so I looked at how many times he'd been dispossessed of the ball, and it's just very very minor. Um, he doesn't lose the ball in possession that much in terms of his passing completion uh, rate. Again, it was. You know, it was it was similar. You go through, you look through his passing completion stats, and um, so let's have yeah. So he had a poor game against Brighton for sure. Um, so he had a pass completion rate of seventy one point four against an average of seventy nine point seven, um, and then against Tottenham it was seventy seven point two. But then against West Brom it was eighty five percent. Obviously, that's a game we did quite well in, but. He he put up seventy nine point five percent against um, Burnley in a game that, that that I mean that's around his average and and the average for Leeds was much lower, um, and then against Manchester United he's up at eighty one percent pass completion rate as well. So again, it's I think it's to do with what we were saying before. It's that it's the the specific instances that he loses the ball and the areas that he loses the ball and anything else. And I don't think he particularly lost the ball in 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 very dangerous areas. I think he lost the ball a lot more in the first half, but it was it was very much. In Brighton's attacking third, uh, and the reason I can say that is because I think he very rarely came out of Brighton's attacking third in the first half, uh, in, in our attacking third rather, in their defensive third. Um, so I, yeah, although he he did give a, a, away the ball a lot, and there were a couple of instances where, like there was one particular time when he, he tried to clip a little cross into the back back post on a Harrison run, and he completely overhit, and it went out of play. Some of them looked really bad. Um, but I think in the second half, his his use of the ball was much better when he was playing under much less pressure and from a deeper starting position. Joe, what did you make of Rodrigo? It's something we mentioned in the build-up to this game, is that we were looking for a big game from him, and I think, unfortunately, it was not one of his, his best games by, by a long way. Um, I think in terms of his pressing, again, this is something I mentioned in the last podcast, he just doesn't seem to have the, the same intensity in his pressing as someone like Patrick Bamford does where you'll just see Bamford you know sprint relentlessly he'll come back into his own half just to track his man and I'm not sure what it is about Rodrigo I'm not sure if it's a a mental thing or if it's a fitness thing um you know maybe it's an ego thing I don't I don't know um I'd like to think that it that it wouldn't be but he just doesn't have that same drive to to press with this with that intensity and it is quite disappointing to see. So hopefully now that we have 
what nine or ten games before uh, nine or ten days before the next game um he can sort of work on that and maybe improve his fitness if if that's the thing that's holding him back yeah we've and we've always i think we've always struggled with him in the in a front press against a back three um when he's playing the eight and is expected to help out in the press and they do that that sort of v v shape movement that relay movement between him and bamford where one will push one outside center back one will push the other and they sort of swap the the number 10 depending on who's pushing against an outside center back or not and um i don't know i think i mean my, i've been outspoken in my in my criticism of the of the Rodrigo transfer as a concept. And um, for me, for me, the issue is, is that we brought in a player who doesn't really fit into our team um, because we were offered a, an elite striker um, who has spent most of his year years playing his best position as a second striker. So sort of dropping and helping out the, um, helping out the build up between a, a sort of t- more target man striker in a midfield. He's now, part of that midfield um and the problem is is that we don't have a two man midfield in the way that most teams with the t- with the se- with a second striker do and he's expected to do a lot of defensive work and it just doesn't really work for me and um so the, the, again it's it's like it's like the Alioski situation right there's going to be certain situations where he's going to look good because the conditions are going to suit him but it's very very easy to nullify that and 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 cause Leeds problems and I think in a division like the Premier League, one, there's managers who will recognise that. And two, they've got players who are able to do that quite comfortably. This isn't the championship anymore. So I'm a bit, I'm just, my frustrations with Rodrigo aren't necessarily frustrations at him. It's more a frustration at the the squad building that has made us sort of think, oh, look, here's a, here's a marquee signing that we can make who in, in many respects we didn't actually need in the first place. Absolutely, and I, I think that that kind of is an interesting point in light of the the poll that you put on on the All Stats Twitter page after the after the game, which I, I know um, some people didn't particularly like it. Um, and and I thought actually what was interesting about, about that was I wondered whether it was the correct question to ask in terms of did we want Ollie Watkins or did we want Rodrigo? And maybe a more useful question might have been did we want Rodrigo or a really good press resistant eight? Should we have prioritised yeah. that instead? And I think that might have got that you know I think that's that's the question that we actually need to address. Yeah, do we want Rodrigo or do we want Rodrigo de Paul? Which Rodrigo yeah. do you want? And obviously everyone's going to say Rodrigo de Paul because however you feel about Rodrigo Moreno, you're not going to you're not you're going to see that he doesn't fit into the into the team as it is. Um so I think that's that's the frustration uh, really there about that. But let's move on to more positive things. Um so Tom Woodhead said there'll be loads of negative questions justifiably we were abject. But how good was Cooper? A very good performance in my opinion. I know it doesn't help. Um and Dan as as he always does to help us out when when there's a bad game uh, gives us a list of positives so thanks Dan Holdsworth uh, he says Cooper played well again just reiterating what Tom said Pablo and Roberts lively when they came on um we don't have another game for a week and a half, um, <laughs> which is, yeah, I guess, nice. Uh, and we've really got to come above one of the teams between us and the bottom two this season to survive. So, you know, relegation isn't really looking like it's on the card. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Dan, for those positives. Has anyone got anything that they would like to add to the list of positives? Yeah, like I said earlier, I think I think Harrison played well. I think he was. I, th- I thought he was very very diligent in his defensive work and I thought he actually linked the play up quite well from 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 the right hand side albeit not as dangerous as as Rafinha would have been over there just in relation to the fact that we don't have another game for a week and a half and and that's that our next opponents Newcastle are playing tonight and they're also playing on Saturday um so they've got two games between now and when they play against Leeds so you know the this the story around Leeds can change so quickly, um, especially in the mainstream media. Now we're seeing people saying, oh, Leeds are bottling it and, you know, Leeds are going down. And I guarantee if we if we beat Newcastle 3-0, then it'll all be fine again and we'll be looking for the Europa League spots. So I think we've the, the classic thing that we, we usually say on this is that try not to get too too excited when we win and try not to get too down when we lose because, you know... I, Overall, we're we're doing okay, um, and we're looking good. So, yeah, that's the nice positive. My massive French son will be back in the team uh, for the Newcastle game, and 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 I can only be happy about that. <laughs> I was just going to add on to what to what Joe said that I think 
so much of modern football punditry is about building narratives and so much of building narratives is usually about identifying runs of form um so you'll say this team's playing well this team's playing badly and the problem with Leeds is that the pundits try and squeeze them into that paradigm and it doesn't work because the problem with Leeds is that we play the same way all the time which means that some teams we're going to play well against and some teams we're going to play badly against and there's really little you can do about that um and so I think it's very easy for the fan base to get into that narrative mindset and think we've lost, therefore this has presaged a a run of form, which is going to be bad or we've won, which, and we've won comfortably, which means we're going to win uh, the next few games quite comfortably as well. And so uh, I think the the mindset that I'm sort of getting into is, is sort of not thinking about results in terms of one another. Um, I, I'd sort of try and separate them out quite, quite, considerably and think right which are the games that we are going to do well in which are the games that we're going to do badly in and then I get disappointed and and um happy about the games where I think we've done maybe better than I thought we were going to do or worse than we we thought we were going to do um Brighton were a team that I was always of the mind that they could do one on us that we knew that they'd been they'd been doing quite well in terms of their underlying numbers I put out a tweet on the Twitter account saying um Brighton and Spurs basically before I think before Spurs had had the game where they um they put up who did they drew with Fulham or something, and I think they put up quite decent XG numbers. Weirdly, um, they they have had the same numbers as Brighton. Um, basically, exactly, they'd created about the same XG and they conceded about the same XG. They were opposite ends of the table. So Brighton, I mean, obviously Spurs are probably overperforming performing their numbers, and if you look at their result uh, against Sheffield United, they they put up about one XG against Sheffield United's one XG, and they won three one. Um, but that you can also say that Brighton are way below where they should be in the table, um, and I don't, you know, that it doesn't, it's not, it's not really a, a bold statement to say that. And so I knew that Brighton were going to cause us problems. I think, I think Leeds are an easy team to play against if you're a smart manager and you can, and you're playing in a four-three, three-four-three anyway. You, you can, you can do things to cause us problems. And Graham Potter is a smart manager, and so it's, it was one of those ones where I was kind of quite negative going into it, and I, I feel as though I was confirmed in that with when with the way that the game went so um all this by way of saying don't don't worry too much about i i find it hard because the fan base seems to flip backwards and forwards between being we're between we're being relegated and we're winning we're getting europa league here um and i think the, the truth of it is probably somewhere in the middle yeah we'll finish about where we are now in my opinion because we're gonna we're gonna win a couple we're gonna lose a couple we're gonna win a couple we're gonna lose a couple we'll lose three we'll win two and that's just how it's going to be all season and that that's fine because it's the first season back one final question, looking forwards. Uh, we had a question from Sean, 89, who said, does Orta need to save Bielsa from himself? The squad feels way too small, far too many players playing out of their natural position. I thought that was an interesting question. Joe, what do you make of that? I'm assuming that that question is suggesting that um, we need to dip into the January transfer window, <laughs> um, which I wouldn't uh, say is a good idea, in my opinion. Um, because we've seen the, the many different reasons why the January transfer window um, is just a bad idea um, in general. Um, the, squ- the squad is small. Um, Sean's absolutely right about that. Um, that's something that we've got used to over the years with Bielsa. Uh, that's just the way that he likes to conduct his business. And the, the same thing with um, the last part of his question, far too many players playing out of their natural position. Um I I I do agree. Um, there are a lot of players playing out their natural position, but then Luke Ayling's looked really good at centre back, and Dallas can play uh, right back, and he can play left back, and uh, he can also play centre midfield on occasion. Um, and I think that versatility in in our backline, in particular, um, has been beneficial overall. I, I think I'm not sure. Um, I would like to see Harrison playing as a number nine again, for example. Um, but uh, I guess the short answer is um, no. I wouldn't be dipping into the the transfer market right now. I think if you bring bring a proper first choice left back and a proper first proper first choice number eight, and I think the squad looks very different with not much movement. So I I would be an advocate for for actually if there is business to be done and you can get the players you want in January, then do it. If not, I'm happy to wait until summer. Right, that brings us to the end of the podcast. And uh, sorry, it feels like we had a lot to talk about today. So, um, uh, yeah, I think positives to look forward to being that we're playing Newcastle next and uh, that's a team that should suit us. So um, lots to look forward to. A nice long break, really. We will will see 
Melier back, as you've mentioned as well, which would be nice. Yes! Come on! Thank goodness that we're not playing <laughs> Southampton this week, because um, I think that would have, yeah, you know, it gives us a bit of breathing room and it just allows us to get um, get all of our, our best players back. So I think positives to look forward to. Um, another positive to look forward to is if you want more bonus material from, from this uh, channel, then we have a Patreon page where you can get uh, bonus um, stuff uh, I will be putting up a video analysis of the Brighton game later today hopefully and um, we also have bonus podcasts and, and some written stuff up over there as well so if that uh, st- strikes you as something that you would like to explore further head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and with that we arrive at the end of the podcast and so all there is for me to do is to say thank you to Darren thank you very much and thank you to Joe Cheers. And we'll see you with a preview of the Newcastle game at some point. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. 